Yo, yo, yiggity yo, what is good and welcome back to Philosophy Digestion. My name is John Gavin and I am stoked to welcome you. We have been shifting to more of a every two weeks type podcast because I'm applying to new jobs and that has taken me some time. So wish me luck and just pray that this podcast one day makes me a gojillionaire. Just kidding. Money is the root of all evil. In case it's unclear, all opinions and statements made during this podcast are reinterpreted, alleged, or parodied to suit the fictional universe that I joke in. Uh, Please do not use any of this content in academia, journalistic publication, or to make investments. Plagiarism is a crime punishable under federal law. And so now that we've got all that business out of the way... This is the podcast where we regurgitate deep shit from the most iconic thinkers that history has chosen to remember. Like I said, I'm your host, John, and I'm super glad that you jumped in today because today we're covering John Locke, who is way more popular than I ever thought from that big crazy island with all of the political fighting, the fear of the others. John Locke doesn't like anyone on the island and doesn't think that... They really know what's going on. He dislikes the queen, the king, Jack, and all the shepherds who are leading the sheep and their flock. And he shows us that even though, you know, some folks just kind of seem to be in power when we're born onto the island, that we can still find our own meaning and blow our own smoke. And that is the best way to discredit and disillusion the shepherds of the flock. In my opinion, John Locke invented extreme ownership. All of the American founding fathers have a huge boner for him. The John Locke from the 1600s, the freedom philosopher, physician, and enlightenment guru, whose middle name I cannot find. He was born onto the island of Great Britain to his parents, Agnes and John Locke Sr., The John Locke we're talking about, born in 1632, believed in science and reasoning. And that was a new thing at his time, you know, in the 1600s. People were still heavily burning witches and worshiping God's one true king and also not washing their hands, hoping that thoughts and prayers will keep the bubonic plague away. And as the COVID-19 pandemic showed us, It is not thoughts and prayers that keep pandemics away. John Locke questions the natural order and the systems of leadership that emerged on his island of Great Britain before he was born. And a lot like the John Locke that we all know and love from the iconic CBS television series Lost, he was ready to get off the island and ready to see a new version of power emerge. The people of John Locke's time didn't know it, but they lived as the era of kings and queens came to an end. It was John Locke's ideas of natural order and individual liberty that inspired that transition of power into a democratic world order. Uh, You can't see it, but I'm putting air quotes around the word democratic. And I think it's really sad that he never got to see his dreams come true. But I also think it's really sad he never got to see the evil of humanity corrupt his dream. And like the people of today are all too familiar with, 
A pandemic causes a sense of before and after. Before the pandemic, in the before times, as we call it, things were different. The bubonic or black plague of the medieval times changed things in that era of Europe. And a new era of wisdom and science were being born that the people felt empowered and entitled to claim for themselves. The essence of the before times of kings and queens, that propaganda and those lies were lived and captured in history's memory by writers like William Shakespeare and performed massively for the first time because of the printing press, just as John Locke was being born. Shakespeare was the prime of pop culture during John Locke's life, and the messages Shakespeare shared likely influenced the way that John Locke saw the island around him. The mass production and copy-paste technology of the printing press allowed ideas and people to share stories, or allowed people to share stories, ideas, and information that made them feel more connected to each other and more connected to people with different ideas, stories, and information so that they could recognize the bond that the people shared and perhaps come to know flaws in the monarchy system and the inheritance of power. If Shakespeare wrote the literature and the stories, John Locke wrote the philosophy that gave Americans, fuck yeah, the internal willpower to break free. He was the Messiah who came along and would usher in a new way of thinking and save us all. Maybe it was written in the 1700s, and a lot like the science of the time, it still has a long way to come. But for some reason, we are still following his ideas and his words to a T. And you know what? Maybe some random dude on this island just happened to get it right. But regardless of your opinion, I think it's fascinating how we, especially Americans, follow the word of John Locke more faithfully than most Christians follow the Bible. But John here is way better than, uh, you know, the morons last 1,000 years of blindly following God's fake king. And so we will count our blessings, continue to search for the best way of governance and an understanding of the one true God. Just as we ought not to worship false idols, we ought not to blindly adhere to bad leadership. Enter John Locke. Eh, you know what? That last bit was more my opinion than John Locke's. And so I want to be very clear about that because I don't want you thinking that John Locke critiqued himself so hard. I'm going to go make a little bit of tea calm my nerves a bit i will be back please be kind to anyone that may come to the mic while i am gone millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I am back and full disclosure, I poured myself coffee instead this time. Anyway, so if I get jittery, <laughs> that'll be why. So enter John Locke. Born um, in 1632 under the reign of God's true king, Charles I. John Locke is born about 17 years after Shakespeare's death. He's a philosopher, a physician, and he looks like an olden high elf who carries all of his wisdom in his deep and refined large schnoz. He's a upper class, educated man. And the son of a rich, educated man. His father was a lawyer. He got really good grades as daddy's little boy, and he went to Oxford, the real one in England, and no, I'm not jealous. And Americans liked him, and they used his ideas because he actually had an amazing work ethic. He was a physician by trade, you know, a medicine man, an 1800s doctor who actually had a degree for something useful. And for some reason, he's not just, you know, your everyday barber who does surgery. He actually understood medicine, which was a very new thing at the time. A lot of people were very skeptic. But because he was such a hard worker and people didn't actually think that they needed doctors at the time, he had a million different jobs. He taught math and he was a writer. When he was doing his philosophy... I bet you it was super empowering for him, you know, if someone, you know, he's, he's, he's in some bar writing down his ideas and anyone's like, is there a doctor here or is there a barber here? And he's like, actually, I'm a trained physician. And they're like, great, this guy's choking. I think that he was really a savior of his day and a powerful, just, you know, icon of the time. But like, that's not to say that if you're just a barber or just a writer that you can't know first aid or you shouldn't be prepared for someone choking. I'm just saying that John Locke really seemed to have it all. And I'm starting to realize just how American I am by how much I appreciate this man. John Locke is considered the father of classical liberalism and liberal political thought. And before you uh, Republican snowflakes start coming at me again, saying that our founding fathers wouldn't have worshipped a liberal... Don't get all triggered by the word liberal. When we're talking about people in the past or actually using the word liberal correctly, it just means free, low government, low control, and high individual freedom, choice, and power for the people. 
saying something like restricting my gun laws, them liberals is literally incorrect. Restricting gun laws is conservative and denies you a choice that you could otherwise make it your own liberty. And if you think liberal versus conservative is the way that the world works, you're a sheep and you're falling into a fight that they want you to fall into both the liberals and conservatives. It is what I like to call a false dichotomy. They're simply words that should be used to describe leg- legislation. Wow, that's a hard word. They are sim- liberal and conservative are simply words that should be used to describe legislation accurately. And if you don't know what words mean, that's fine. Use a different word. Our guy John Locke is suspicious of big government because he's a liberal. And he's born onto this island where the leadership in place doesn't want the sheep following anyone other than the God's king who they are told to. And while they may have houses like the Montagues or the Capulets, these are also false dichotomies. And they are all slaves to the one king in power. So John was born into a world where the sheep, the shepherds, the church, and almost all of the people believed that the commonwealth and the Christian leadership of God's king had that divine right to rule. And he's here like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me that this inbred townie Charles the first was chosen by God and that's why I'm a slave. I I'm not buying it. And so John takes a step back and he really starts to fall into this practice of science of humans, systematic studying of the nature around them and then writing it down. He calls this empiricism or empirical observations, the scientific method, what have you. And while it was first called empiricism, people really got triggered because they interpreted empiricism as against God. And so it was later rebranded into science because it was less political. John Locke was prepared because he didn't believe in thoughts and prayers necessarily he knew that if he was a good person that god and those around him would take care of him even though he believed in empiricism and i think that's funny because empiricism sounds like mysticism or like it's from a spell book so maybe i'm going to start just calling science empiricism and see what happens from there it's ultimately the belief that we come to know truth from witnessing things and looking at evidence in real life that we can all perceive. And for people at John Locke's time, the 1600s, the most important thing in their identity was their religion, their house, and their national identity. And I would say that today in America, the most important things to people are their religion, their house, and their national identity and looking at nature and doing science 
got a lot of witches burned, if you know what I mean. And if the people are brainwashed into thinking that that's good and to serve God is to neglect empiricism, then it must make you a good person if you don't believe in science and you blindly follow the leadership that's in front of you. And of course, if you do that, you're going to be told that you're doing the right thing and you can give yourself a good old pat on the back. And it's not your fault and you're not part of the problem. But if we don't give in to the temptations of the fruit of knowledge, then we are doomed to die without basic concepts of medicine and illness. And if you believe in a heaven like that, you're not going to sacrifice eternity to take some medicine or ask your landlord for some rights. John Locke knows. And so we're out of time where the bubonic plague is at a downfall and everyone is chill thanking God for that, even though it was actually the empiricism and the magic of soap. And people like John Locke saying, hey, let's see what we can solve by measuring stuff and writing down what we observe consistently. But empiricism is not necessarily anti-religion, as we are observing God's world. And John Locke believed that believing in God was an essential part of being a good person. And John Locke was chill with Christians in general, and he said that he was Christian, but he said that the church was not chill because, you know, of the whole, we don't like science thing. And because when John Locke said that we should respect every church and every religion, including non-Christian ones, the Protestants in England who were actively persecuting Catholics who did not allow them to have their copies of the Bible and who were pushing a whitest of the white agenda, stealing all the potatoes. And, you know, if you think what they did to the Irish was bad, you should see what they were doing to people of color from the East and Muslims, Buddhists, pretty much anyone who didn't believe in Jesus. The kinds of beliefs that John Locke opposed in the church were the same kinds of beliefs that ended up causing the genocide of the Jews during World War II. And in 1689, he literally said that Christians should be more tolerant of others or else something bad's going to happen. In a letter that he wrote called A Letter Concerning Toleration. And at that time, they were still talking about Muslims like they are terrorists and the Roma people as though they are gypsies who are going to jip you. Even though these caricatures and stereotypes are inaccurate, if you call someone or what group of people one mean name and give one example, that can be extremely persuasive. And John Locke said that church knows this and is corrupt, that Protestants know it and are corrupting the integrity of God's name. And at this time, second in status for the whole kingdom were the clergy. So if the king was chosen by God to rule the land that we all share, 
then the clergy are there to be God, a.k.a. the king's media outlets and personal PR representatives, totally in control of telling people how to interpret current events, religious texts, and their spiritual lives. Complete and total control. They're a lot like the BuzzFeed News, Fox News, or any other place that you get your information today, where you hear a name called and you see an image, and it paints an entire worldview in your mind. It didn't work out very well for them, and I don't think that it's working out very well today. And John Locke, in his work, would argue that a separation of church and state is necessary for people to really be choosing their government, and not just slaves to an idea of it. He says that people should have the right to choose and that religious beliefs about life, liberty, and freedom should not equal the state's views. The clergy in 17th century Britain held weekly ceremonies that they called mass where they would tell stories of God's wonder and exactly how to earn that favor. In literature, people seemed aware that religious and political figures are corrupt, but it was like... Shakespeare and Chaucer wrote about priests taking bribes and being bad people, but when it actually came to individual peasants accusing their king or their priests of abuse, they were not taken seriously, and it was the victim who was often blamed and expelled. So, even then, we were seeing contradictions between how society tells stories and how society acts which can cast doubt on the truth that we see on stage or on screen. And I'm not trying to say God's fake. I'm not trying to take away people's agency to choose and believe what they believe in. I'm just saying God would never just pick one king and that it's probably not just if that king's children just for no other reason than that virtue inherit all of his wealth. And that if someone is using the name of God to commit sin then it's probably a fake God talking. Most likely the devil, or Beelzebub, or whatever you want to call it, pretending to be God. And we should be wary of false idols. In the society of the 1600s, the church was the check and balance to God's king. And John Locke's sitting over here like, hey, if you threaten people and say that they have to believe in your God or they're not worthy of rights. That's rude. And you're actually doing harm to God's people because there is one God who is the God of us all. And if God wants you to violently persecute sinners and you're the only one defining what a sinner looks like, it's likely the evil and hatred of the devil. And we need to all be more tolerant. So John Locke like hates the monarchy, he hates the patriarchy, he hates the Protestant church, he hates the Catholic church, and he just wants everyone to smile and live on the island of Great Britain in collective governance. But he was alive in the 1600s, and people were religious and illiterate back then. So collective governing was far out of the idea. They were just expected to adhere to whatever the government tells them to do, believing that if you're born a peasant, you do not have the ability to self-govern or contribute to your government. They think that that would be chaos. How are you ever going to do that? Ah, uh, it'll never happen. You can't change the way that it is, and it's not your fault. But John Locke disagreed. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. According to Oxford, Locke literally invented the idea of personal and individual identity. Because before Locke, everyone was just like, oh, you know, I'm a member of this house or I'm a member of this religion, or I'm a member of this family, and that is the extent of my identity. The land, the community, and the beliefs one had were it, and there was no value in the individual. Because your group was all that other people saw of you, your stereotype and your caricature. The place you're born into and not your individual character. And John Locke was like, but we're all different, and we're all individuals. Just like there's an individual king and individual plots of land, there are individual people. And he uses a bunch of science to over-explain things because people were having a hard time grasping the ideas. But he says that people hold a constant physical form, and that it moves around through space over a duration of time, and like the flow of water through a spirit pool. The water and the cells may be ever-changing, but the pool is still there. It can be found and identified. 
It has algae and special characteristics. And our pool dries up when we die. What about a boat? If I have two different identical boats and I slowly replace one boat with pieces from the second boat, at what point does that first boat actually become the second boat? And Locke is like, you're a different person every time you lose one cell through breathing. If you look at it like that, you drama queen. Be a new you each moment, girl. You're still you. So every combination of pieces of the boat is its own ship and can have its own new identity in that moment if a ship was given a choice. Just like the pool of water is a new body of water, the pool itself chooses to remain the same. Actually, pools and boats don't have choices, but people do. And Locke says that you can be infinite positivity if you take charge of each moment for the better. He wrote all this, of course, in his Just Girly Things inspiration quote book. But Locke is actually like, he says, a person is a thinking smart something with the ability to reason and reflect. A person can consider itself the same thing through time and space or choose to become someone else. He distinguishes a difference between the flesh bag that we all exist in, the flesh bag being the water that runs through us, and the consciousness inside of us that reflects the pool of life. And that pool takes ownership over the water as it flows through, just as our consciousness takes ownership of our flesh bag as we live. And the water can be muddy at sometimes if we let it, and we can keep it clean if we take ownership and agency over our own lives. Well, if we are allowed to. John Locke says that because real ownership is made up and imagined, you can't see, touch, smell, or hear extreme ownership or consciousness. But if we each take that agency and are physically allowed to make those choices... We can do things like make observations, come to conclusions, use soap, and not get the plague. John Locke is considered the idea father of the American Revolution because Americans, about a hundred years later, who were all protesting, not my king, not my king, and blocking the I-5 tea shipments and screaming, no justice, no teas. John Locke thought a lot about individual liberty, group psychology, and so naturally, government. While some people are all drama, some people like John Locke are like, hmm, maybe it's not about picking sides. And it's just about governing the people with consistent dignity and respect. Because the violence that the bipartisanship of medieval Europe showed was a huge bummer, led to a lot of death, and led to some really, really bad leaders on all sides. And that is still a huge bummer today. Even though we have taken John Locke's word as though it's the word of God, we seem to have not improved a whole lot. So John Locke was like doing all of his science talk and starting a medical practice and thinking really hard during his life right after the 
Great British War of the Roses. So basically, there was a war. People believe in the two-party system, and they're arguing. And, you know, like, half the homies were like, my body and labor belongs to this king. And the other half of the homies were like, not my king. And there was just a lot of fighting, no matter who sat on the throne. It tore families apart. There were strong lines drawn between groups based on very superficial things like what house and what name they used. And Locke was like, hey. And John Locke was like, you're all just fighting to remain a piece of furniture in your king's weird life. The system's broken and it's people's right to construct a government, not just listen to some dude because his dad was king. John Locke argues that people are good people and don't want to harm others and are not naturally selfish, but that selfishness needs to be checked because people are scared that they're not going to get what they deserve. And people have different ideas of what others and themselves do deserve. And when that selfishness becomes the governing documents, then it is the people's responsibility to overthrow that government. That is one of the founding ideas of American democracy. That when selfishness becomes the governing document, it is the people's responsibility to overthrow that government. Which also calls the people who are beneficiaries of that system to relinquish some of their blessings and some of the pie that they've gotten from the king so that we can all be free. John Locke was the first person to be like, okay, maybe the king or the president or whoever is giving me more of a vote and more control over other people's lives than maybe I should have. And he has this crazy idea where maybe the new world order and true democracy can serve everybody and not just those who are enabled and empowered to take extreme ownership over the property that they are born with or that's handed to them. So in 1690, John Locke writes the two treaties of government. He says, we all can take extreme, extreme ownership of our governing documents and create something that half of us don't want to overthrow violently. And that authority becoming too strict, oppressive, or classically conservative will naturally cause protests. Naturally, oppression causes people to stand up against the government that is doing such a thing. The American founding fathers got their liberal ideals from John Locke. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And like I said, being liberal doesn't actually mean you're on the left or a Democrat. I know lots of Democrats and Republicans who, when I talk to them, they seem classically liberal at heart, like John Locke. But it's only in snowflakes that start melting about it, in my humble opinion. John Locke thought that we are each equal beings who exist in a constant pursuit of happiness. And since we each have lives and a liberty that we are born with. Those things are inherent to us as humans and God wants us to survive and be prosperous. To survive and be prosperous, that takes natural resources. And so it makes sense that we have ownership over 
our own bodies and decisions and the natural resources that are required for us to be prosperous. The issue is when the people at the top of the tower who have first access to the banquet of natural resources take more than their fair share, even if they have the freedom to do it, by taking more than they deserve, they are in taking away from those who will not have enough to become prosperous. John Locke says that everyone should have freedom and should be afforded equal rights to decide what to do with their shit and what their shit is worth. An issue with the way that the Commonwealth was invading other land and deciding what the resources and the labor of the people on that land were worth. They said, well, we have lots of our money and you use our money now. So um, I'm going to give you one coin for this extremely valuable resource. And that takes away agency and freedom from the people who were born in, on, or around the inherent natural resources. And where does all this come from? John Locke says that we have rights to the property, ownership of our own bodies, um, you know, ownership over other people then must be against the law of nature. What is the law of nature? The truth is very little. The state of nature is dangerous. The state of nature is a word John Locke actually came up with or a phrase he came up with to define the world with no government and no social order. Like a small woman or a child will be subjected to a strong, crazy male stranger because of the virtue of natural strength. But humans did not live or evolve in the state of nature. And so arguing that women have a place because of their size doesn't make any sense for natural or for social government order. Though there is something to be said about having ownership over somebody else. That's why John Locke says parents are in charge because of the state of nature. They big you small, they smart you dumb, they write you wrong, but they love you and they want you to be successful. It's not perfect, but it is positive and enriching. The state of nature happens today, but we don't usually live there because we have society and we understand that other people's behavior has consequences outside of the state of nature. If that big, strong, crazy dude kills someone smaller than him or enforces his version of the rules on them simply because of his size, if those things break the law, then that man will be punished. And that force, that threat, creates a social order. Consequences because of human understanding and society. So if we're all in the state of nature, then social consequences aren't real. And you can hit and curse and get away with it. But so can everyone else. Even that strong, crazy man has to sleep and has to eat. Even a child could kill a larger man in the dead of night. So... Naturally, long before we finished evolving, rules and expectations about, about the consequences of our actions formed. That's how we tend to handle disagreements 
and why we write governing documents down, which create governments. So these governments naturally emerge to uphold the rules that the people want to live by. And that's better than physically fighting about it. Because people like weak women and children and weak men and large men who are sleeping want to feel safe. And the strongest woman of the pack can sleep soundly at night knowing that the law will protect her from being killed by a weaker man. It might seem kind of obvious to us today, but this was a brand new and liberating idea for the people of the 1600s because they were born thinking peasants are lower in quality and thought than the king inherently and that God gave the king something that the peasants do not have. And so thinking about the world in this state of nature where a peasant standing next to the king is inherently and equal in the eyes of God was like totally mind blowing. And so John Locke says that if we can come to governing documents that everyone is happy with, then there will be peace except for psychopaths. And the documents will outline how to hold people accountable for their actions based on the culture or what society wants. And what's so hard for us today is that these governing documents are meant to include and take jurisdiction and influence over the people who are both affected by it and who are making the decisions. But in our non-democratic world today, my vote as an American affects people all over the world who do not get a vote. What I think and what I want affects the value and the quality of life for people in countries that I have not even heard of. And that is not true democracy. So as I walk around in my New Balance shoes that were made in Vietnam based on laws that I got to vote on and money that I earned with other Americans on it that I get to spend, this is not a true democracy. This is a world where the people at the top or in America get to feel the illusion of democracy and yet walk on the products of slave labor every day. And unfortunately, in the corrupt version of democracy we live in today, you have to be ready and educated enough to vote and act when the time comes. And we must be willing to advocate for those who are not included in the quote-unquote democratic process. Or we risk losing our democracy and our right to vote when the tides change. If we want to feel equal and we want to be free, then we must all be free or we all live with the threat of losing our superiority. I think it's interesting how supremacists are scared that immigrants and people of color are going to come and take over because that is not the dream. Being a slave is not a good thing. Being subjected to a different race is not a good thing, and it is something to be scared of. Why then supremacists continue to vote 
and create a world where we export labor and we walk on slave shoes. It's easy for us to wash our hands of it, but in contributing to the problem, we are contributing to the very thing that we are so afraid of. And I say we because I do, I'm not joking. I have new balances. I just looked at the tag. They were made in Vietnam. That person's labor is worth, le- is worth less than mine because they're not, they did not inherit an education and they are not an American, a part of the democratic system. And so me spending my money on these shoes is a version of American or like supremacy. And it's very tangible and it's very real. I do not believe that is right. I do not want to be supremacist. Yet the world that I live in and the color of my skin rewards me for making those choices and walking in these shoes. And I encourage everyone to take ownership over their actions and realize that if we are not part of the solution, then we are part of the problem. And this democracy that we live in was built by slave owners, white Christian God. Though we do live in a world today where people of color are allowed to join in, be a part of the system, it is still built on the idea that they must adhere to values and the European way of quote-unquote democratic leadership that this white dude, John Locke, invented. And John Locke says that it is the group who is responsible for upholding their governing documents or not. However they do, and if they don't like it, it is the people's responsibility to use their bodies and their voice to demonstrate that opposition. And by not doing that, and by letting the leaders of today win, letting them steal crops, destroy forests, and develop in places where people live who do not get a vote, we are allowing unfree and undemocratic things to happen. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hope you got something out of the show. And if you're looking for one easy good thing you can do for someone else, lift your fingers to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It is money to us podcasters and positive energy created in the world is reciprocal. You can create infinite positivity and infinite change. The pool always needs cleaning and taking ownership over oneself also means taking ownership over the consequences of one's own actions. John Locke was eventually exiled for writing these ideas down. And he died a semi-successful writer, but no one was willing to listen to him because the people of his day felt free, 
they felt like their house was in charge and they were sitting easy. It wasn't until the tides began to change and the people of Great Britain began to feel oppressed that they set sail to the new world and wrote the foundation of extreme ownership, the Declaration of Independence. And that, my friends, is the digestion of John Locke, America's great liberal granddaddy. There will be more to come about kings. Thank you so much for tuning in. I was a little bit more on my soapbox this week than I like to be, but I hope that you hear what I have to say. I am your host, John Gavin. And today's sources include the University of Oxford's lectures on John Locke by Peter Milliken, a YouTube video by the University of Shedd, the Fraser Institute's Essential John Locke course, Stephen West and his podcast, Philosophize This, which if you want a very academic but also understandable version of John Locke's philosophy, that is a great podcast to check out. The World Ebook Library and Heritage Encyclopedia's documentary lecture series on John Locke, BBC Radio 4. Lectures by Dr. Michael Nagel on YouTube, and of course, Wikipedia. Once again, thank you very much for tuning in. My name is John Gavin, and I will see you next time. <laughs>